This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Delighted that you made it out. If you're watching by live stream, we're glad to have you, but you need to come back in person. Just throw that in there to you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up really high, and our ushers will get you the Word of God. I believe it's significant that, again, you get in the Word, God will get into you, or better yet, you read the Word, and the Word will read you. So we like the Word of God. Once you get a Bible, go with me to 1 Kings. I'm going to change up just a little bit. 1 Kings chapter 17. As you're going to 1 Kings chapter 17, the Apostle Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, all who desire to live godly in Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, it's interesting. He said not just to live godly, but he said all who desire, all choose who to live godly in Jesus. So once you start living for Jesus, it's almost like there's a bullseye on you. I don't say that in a negative way. I'm just warning you. Persecution's going to have to, it's going to come after you. Godly living will attract persecution. The message translation says this way. You live for Jesus, you're in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. But that's okay when we live for the Lord, okay? All right, we're going to start this morning in 1 Kings 17. We'll be in 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18, and 1 Kings 19. Some just wonderful, wonderful scripture, I believe, that will highlight the fear of the Lord and also the fear of man. Now, if you want to read a great chapter, just in your own personal reading, read Psalms 56, verses 1 through 11. It'll talk about even King David experienced what it looked like to fear man. So we begin 1 Kings 17, and, and as we go here, I'm going to highlight some names and places because I believe it's significant. 1 Kings 17, verse 1, and Elijah, and Elijah. Now, if you've never been much in the Bible, Elijah was one of the, the greatest prophets of all. He was an incredible messenger of the Lord. Elijah he didn't care if his message was unpopular or not. He just said, I'm going to obey God. I'm just going to obey God. And so it begins to give you a little insight of this guy named Elijah. It says, Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, when you read Tishbite, he was from a place called Tishbe. Many times you can overlook that, but actually the word Tishbe is related to two words, repent and return. So part of his assignment, I believe, and you'll see this later on this morning, was to get the children of Israel to repent and return. Keep reading. And so the Lord said, go to Ahab. Now who in the world is Ahab? Ahab at this time was the most wicked king that Israel had ever had. He far exceeded all the kings before him. So the Lord said to Elijah, the man of God, the prophet, go to this ungodly king named Ahab. Go unannounced, just show up. And he said here, as the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand. And so Elijah, wasn't, he wasn't ashamed to say, I stand before God of Israel. 
Not only do I stand before the God of Israel, I serve the God of Israel, and I fear the God of Israel. So we end in verse 1, and he says, There shall not be dew nor rain in these years, except at my word. Now, this was a very bold statement for him to make. Because the people of Israel at this time, they were rooted in a worship to a false god called Baal. The ones who worshiped Baal, they all thought that all the rain was determined or dictated by the god of Baal. So really, when when Elijah says, there's not going to be rain until God tells me to tell you so, I mean, he's going after them. And, And so... Immediately right here, we begin to see that he he was bold. He was sent to confront. He wasn't sent to compromise. He wasn't sent to comfort, but he was sent to confront. Now, a lot of times we don't like that, but this was his assignment. So now I get a paraphrase, chapter 17 So Elijah, for the next three years, now remember, there's a drought. With a drought, you're going to get famine. It's going to be pretty tough. But if you were to study this, and I encourage you to study, read it, because God supernaturally provides for him. I I mean just supernaturally. He he lets a, a widow who didn't have anything not only supply for him, but she becomes blessed. He feeds him supernaturally with the ravens. That's a good one. Every evening he'd look and say, man, here comes the ravens. They're bringing me a happy meal today. You know, I'm just going to share a little bit of my heart right now. I, I believe with what takes how God supplied supernaturally, We're going to see this more and more, okay? Trust God, all right? Look look to God. Whether it's famine, whether it's drought, just keep looking to God because God's going to take care of you. I believe that's part of 2023. God's going to upgrade the righteous, okay? He's going to make sure we're good. So even in chapter 17, in a time of drought and famine, God does a miracle. Through Elijah. He, he raises this widow's son to life. He's dead. And so, and I don't care what it looks like in the natural, God can move whenever he desires to move, okay? We serve a big God. Even how, how we sang that, oh, how God, I need you. So now we go into 1 Kings chapter 18. And we go to verse 1. And it says, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So time has raced by. We're, we're now three years into the drought. And God says to Elijah, I, I got a word for you. Now, anytime the, the word or the Lord gives us a word, you, you have the choice within yourself to obey that or disobey that. And this is what I love about Elijah. He wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. He's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you what God says. So he said, I got a word for you. 
Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So you know what he's saying? Not only go and present yourself to Ahab and let him know you're still around, because he hadn't, he hadn't found Elijah for three years. It's like Elijah had done a disappearing act. He's nowhere to be found. And so God says, you go present yourself to him and let him know you hadn't gone nowhere. And then number two, tell him, my God's going to send some rain. Verse number two. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was severe famine in Samaria. It wasn't all over the place. In Judea, it wasn't like that. Verse three. So Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now this guy named Obadiah, he's, he's an interesting character to me. If you notice, he was in charge of Ahab's palace. And so he worked for Ahab. But look at the end of verse 3, what it says about this guy named Obadiah. Now Obadiah, he feared the Lord greatly. He worked for an ungodly king, but he feared the Lord greatly. Now that may be you right now. You may be employed by somebody that's very, very ungodly. But just because they're ungodly doesn't mean you can't fear God. Now, this guy, Obadiah, he feared the Lord incredibly. So I'm reading that and I'm studying that. And it's interesting how many times God would place godly men in the palaces of ungodly kings. And it was like, my godly men and women, they'll influence the ungodly, even though the ungodly don't really understand that. So you go back and look. Daniel, he was that way with Nebuchadnezzar. Remember his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or my Shack, your Shack, and Abundaglow? I'm just kidding. How about Joseph with Potiphar? How about Joseph with the Pharaoh? So we see this and so we have the thought, why does God put godly people under ungodly kings? Because God loves everybody. And you may be the only person he has that can minister to them because of your godly behavior and the way you fear God. So many times when we say, God, get me out of here. I don't want to work for this guy anymore. Maybe it's because God needs you there. Maybe because you're very important to the kingdom of God. So we get a little idea about this guy named Obadiah. Now, he's going to come into play here real big through all this. So what happens in these next few verses is the, the drought is so bad that Ahab sends this guy named Obadiah, and he says, you've got to find water. And you've got to find some green grass because we're going to lose all our livestock. So he sends Obadiah out. 1 Kings 18, verse 7. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. So here they are. They're out in the middle of nowhere and they cross paths. Not coincidental, it's God, I believe. And Obadiah recognized him and he fell on his face and he said, 
is that you, my Lord Elijah? Now remember, he hadn't seen him for three years. Is that you, my Lord? He pays respect to Elijah. Verse 8, and Elijah answered him and said, It is I, and go tell your master, Elijah's here. Elijah hadn't disappeared from the face of the, Elijah's here. Now watch Obadiah's reaction to this. So he said, how have I sinned or, or what is my sin that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So you know what he just said to him? He said, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. If I go and tell Ahab this, he's going to kill me. Why? Why does he say that? Verse 10. And as the Lord your God leaves, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So you know what he said? He's been hunting for you for three years. And when they came back and said they couldn't find you, they had to take an oath or a vow that says, we never saw him. Verse 11. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. You're crazy. That's nothing but a death sentence for me. What are you trying to do? Get me killed? Verse 12. Very good verse here. Watch this. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you. Now listen, listen. That the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So what does that mean? Apparently, there were times in Elijah's life that the Holy Spirit would supernaturally transport him to some place. That's a head scratcher. Except you can find it in the New Testament also in Acts 8 with a guy named Philip. Now, your question for you here off of this. I'm going to give you a question and I'm going to give you an answer. Have you ever been transported to another place? I haven't yet. But I'm not against that. Now, let me ask you has anybody, have you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been transported to another place? I believe these are, these are supernatural things that God will begin to do in the last days. It's biblical, okay? Don't think I ate too much pizza last night, okay? It's all in the Bible. So he says, this is, this is Obadiah. He said, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go tell Ahab that I know where you're at, and we're going to come back and, and look for you, and you pulled this Houdini on me, and you disappeared. Keep reading. So when I go tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he's going to kill me. But watch the end of this verse. But I, your servant, I'm just a servant, what Obadiah, I'm a servant of the Lord. I have feared the Lord from my youth. This guy, he's grown up with the fear of the Lord. You know what he just says? Even though all the things that you're telling me, they don't make sense. I fear God more than I fear that ungodly king. I, I live with the fear of the Lord right here. So it starts getting interesting. So Elijah says, go tell him you've seen me. Same chapter, verse 17. 
Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And you know what he does? He insults Elijah. He blames Elijah. He tells Elijah, the predicament that Israel is in is a result of you. You're the problem. And most people, when King Ahab would say stuff to them, they would bow because of fear and intimidation. But let's pay close attention to what Elijah does here. Verse 18, and Elijah answered and said, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. So what he does, he boldly refutes Ahab. And he says, I'm not the problem. I'll tell you who the problem is. You and your stinking kinfolk. It's your bloodline. Now again, you see something on him. And I'm talking about Elijah. Elijah didn't fear man. He feared God. And I told you earlier, he, he wasn't there to comfort or compromise. He was there to confront with the truth. So not only does he correct Ahab here, he tells Ahab why. Listen to what he says. That you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Anytime we as human beings forsake the, the, the commandments of God, there's going to be consequences, okay? They're not going to be good consequences. And we're, we're very similar as human beings as far as in this way. Whether you like the word of God or you dislike the word of God, it doesn't change the word of God. Psalms 119, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. So again, whether you agree with the word of God or not, that doesn't matter. It's, it's going to be there. It's always going to be there. You know, years ago, I was in a truck one day working, and there was this bumper sticker in front of me. It said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I thought, that's incredible. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But you know, right there, something within me said, that's not true. And I said, what's not true about that? And this is what the, the God thought was. God said it. And whether or not you believe it or not, it's still settled. It's a done deal. And so he goes after him and says, you've not obeyed the commandments of God. And the reason you're not obeying the commandments of God, we're now in a drought and a famine because of you, pal. You're the king. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And then second, he says, and you followed the bells. Now, if you've ever studied or haven't studied the Bells, it was a bunch of crazy false gods. I mean, crazy false gods. An idol. So for two things, they quit obeying God and they begin to serve idols. But that stuff of serving idols, Pastor, that's so foreign to us. We're not going to serve a bunch of idols. I'm not going to serve a stick or a piece of metal. No. But we sure do dress up with crazy uniforms on every Sunday. And we paint our faces on Sunday. And we scream and yell on Sunday for three and four hours. And even if it goes overtime, we won't leave early. What are you insinuating? We still have a bunch of idols around. They just don't look like the Old Testament idols. Idols. 
the God of money, the God of fame, the God of popularity. There's a bunch of them. So Elijah corrects him. He corrects the king. Woo, this is bold. He didn't fear man. Verse 19. Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me. This is the love of God. Get all of Israel. I want all of them. And go to Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I'm going to explain Jezebel here in a minute. But you know what Elijah's doing? He's saying, we're going to have the big face off. There's going to be a big challenge. And so what we're going to do, we're all going to meet at Mount Carmel. And you're going to bring the 850 fake false prophets of Baal. Now, the odds of that aren't real good, are they? Just do the odds. 850 to 1. Not very good odds. Kind of sounds like something that we read in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. A thing called the narrow road and the wide road. And the Lord Jesus said the narrow road is difficult. And there's only a few that are on that. But it's the road that leads to life. And the wide road, the broad road, it's the easy road, and there's a bunch of folk on it, but it leads to death. And so Elijah, he's, he's boldly, boldly, boldly challenging them. Verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people. They got them all gathered up. Now, listen to what he says. And just maybe today, Elijah's speaking to me and you. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you live double-minded? Are you two-timing God? Do, do I just get really neutral? And so it's interesting his, his challenge to them. It, it's almost like he said, you've alternated between God and the bells. And it's like, whoever you're around, that's who you applaud. So if I'm around the, the, the Christians, I speak in Christianese, but I'm around the world and I just like the world. And it's interesting, he says, how long will you falter between these two opinions? Wafer. So listen to what he says. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered not a word. Now this is shocking, right? They didn't answer a word. You know why I say that? Because he's asking them that question and they do not reaffirm God or they don't even reaffirm the, the, the bells. So if God was to ask you, who do you serve, God or the bells? I'm neutral. I'm neutral. I just don't want to piss anybody off that's in the Greek, okay, breathe. I don't want to offend anybody. See, I wonder if that's where we've gotten. 
If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. That if Baal follow him, but the people answered him, not a word. So now I get a paraphrase here for a little bit. So they erect these altars. So four years now, I'm in Israel. The first time I'm in Israel, I go to Mount Carmel. I'm at Mount Carmel. I'm where this prophet Elijah walked. And so if you were looking toward the east of Mount Carmel, down this way, down at the bottom, the foothill of uh, the, the mountain range right there, there were these, these pads, these little hills. And our guide said, you see those little hills down there? And I said, yeah, I can see those. He goes, that, that's where all these altars were erected. Right? And I said, right down there? And he said, yeah. So if you're a history buff, that, that would be in the Jezreel Valley. Right there is where that was. So the false prophets of Baal, they set up their altar. And for six hours, they begin to cry out to, to the God of Baal. But you know what? For six, nothing happened. Nothing. Well, it shouldn't be shocking because it's an idol. But that was all their belief. Something's going to happen. And, and so they get desperate and they start dancing around the altar and nothing happens. And then they get real desperate and they begin to cut themselves. Do you know that at the cutting is rooted in bell worship. You don't have to cut yourself, okay? Jesus cut himself for you. His blood will cover you, I promise. So all this is going on for six hours. Nothing. 850 to one. So Elijah, he's got a boldness on him. He starts mocking him. He starts taunting him. Is your God asleep? Maybe he's having to take a potty break. He begins to laugh at him because nothing happens. And then we go to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. You know what he's saying? Let's stop this nonsense. Let's quit this other stuff. Come near me. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, at the altar, he knows, man, stuff happens at the altar. That's where people give their heart to the Lord. That's where the presence of God will show up. That's where God will begin. So he says, we got to prepare the altar of the Lord. Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and I've done all these things at your word. He's bold. These 850 false prophets, they're just sitting there glaring at him. He steps out and he says, I, I want you to know I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac. I serve the God of Israel. And I want you to know that I, I obey his word. That when I obey his word, stuff's gonna happen. Verse 37, hear me now, Lord, hear me, that this people know 
that they may know you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So it was all designed to pull them back to God and say, you got to come back. So we read the verse before that it was the time of the evening sacrifice. So Elijah's thinking, evening sacrifice. Ooh, it'd be a great time for a firework display. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Listen to this. And it consumed the burnt offering, or the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust. And it licked up all the water that was in the trench. I wonder what the look on these guys' face were. I, I bet they were speechless. I believe with all my heart that the fear of the Lord descended right there. Verse 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So you know what just takes place there? They repent and they return to God. So now let me paraphrase a little more. So guess what happens? The 450 prophets, they take off. But Elijah and his guys catch them and they kill every one of them. They execute them. You know what that signifies to me? I, I've got to get those dead things out of my life. I've got to get those ungodly things out of my life. So he, he kills every one of them right there. Now remember, he's at Mount Carmel. So after he executes them all, he goes back to the top of Mount Carmel. And now he looks back to the west. And he gets on his knees. And he begins to pray for rain. So he's got his servant with him. And he said, now, go look. Go look on the other side and tell me what you see. Now, on this side of Mount Carmel, if you look back to the west there, you can get a glimpse of the Mediterranean Sea. So his little servant goes up there and comes back and says, nothing. But you know what Elijah does? He prays two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Each time he keeps sending the servant back and says, you got to go look, you got to go look. Little servant's getting wore out. He said, I'm, I'm fatigued, the guy's crazy. But you know what the number seven represents? Completion. How many days did it take God to create the world? Seven. How many times did the Israelites circle Jericho? Seven. How many disciples are in the Bible? Seven, no, 12, you missed that one. Gotta pay attention. Gotta pay attention. So I read this. Man, Elijah's lit up. He's coming off these incredible victories. He sees the 450 prophets executed. He sees the, the children of Israel come back to God. And now he sees this cloud coming out of the ocean. And he tells his servant, he said, go tell Ahab to get his umbrella out and his rain boots. It's fixing to rain. So he's watched God move. Incredible. But we go to chapter 19. And this is one of the most crazy turn of events in the Bible right here. 1 Kings 19 verse 1. Now, this may describe some of the things you're going through, okay? 
It's just the goodness of God. I, I believe God's getting ready to really, really speak to our hearts. Verse one. And Ahab, again, he's, he's visibly moved by everything he's seen in the last two days. He's like, oh my gosh. And he told Jezebel. Now who's Jezebel? That's his wife. Better known as the most wicked woman that ever lived. Wow. She's the one who introduced him to Baal worship. She's the one who wanted to control and have all the power that she could. So he says to Jezebel, all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Hmm. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods, notice if you got your Bible how God's spelled there. It's little G-O-D-S. She didn't serve the one true God. Listen, there's only one God, all right? Sorry if that offends you. So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. This wicked woman who's vicious, she's furious. And she says to Elijah, if it's the last thing I do, tomorrow by this time you're going to be dead, pal. Now remember, Elijah is the man of God. Elijah is the man who's always been bold. Elijah has been the one who confronted Remember when Ahab came after him? And he didn't bow to that. He refuted it all. But this woman comes at him, verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. Whoa. Whoa. Where does courage go? Where does boldness go? Did all of a sudden he get over to where he feared man instead of fear God? And so it says, he, he ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Uh-oh, something happens here. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came, and he sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed. Now, if you stop right there, you'd say, yes, yes, the man of God prayed. Oh, happy day, he prayed. But we've got to keep reading. And he prayed that he might die. Whoa. Whoa. He prayed that he might die. So you begin to see something here. That the fear of man had paralyzed him. The fear of man had caused him to walk in deception. The fear of man caused him to become depressed, drained. His thinking became foggy. He, he wasn't thinking right. And you want know to read, every time I read this stuff, I realize this is real, this happens to human beings. And often when this happens, it comes after a big victory. And I don't know if we put our guard down. I don't know what happens. But 
I, I know a story of a pastor whose church was just huge. Everything was incredible. And all of a sudden, one day, he, he has this thought, I need to resign. I'm done. And so he, he walks down by this lake that night, and he writes out his resignation letter. And as he's writing it out, the Lord began to deal with him exactly how God will deal with Elijah here. And you know what the Lord showed him? The reason you're sensing this is because this one woman who works for you. So is there someone in your life that puts you on the run? Maybe a friend, you think's a friend, family, a coworker. See, many times when this begins to happen, we, we ignore it. We think, ah, that's not what's happening. I don't know why that's going on. That's not me. You can't play around with this, okay? And so he prays to die, but look what he goes on to say. It is enough. I've had enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I'm alive, but I live like I'm dead because I've got this incredible fear and intimidation of this person. Is that you? Would that define you right now? Good. Have you ever experienced it? I have. I've experienced it before that there was a man that if we didn't do what he wanted to do, he tried to intimidate over and over, over and over, over and over. And so that could be happening to you at work. That can be happening to us in life. Don't, don't act like it didn't happen. Don't act like that stuff's not real. The spirit of fear will take you out. It's what it's designed to do. So God loves Elijah so much that he sends this angel two times. Two times. Verse 8. So he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days, 40 nights, as far as orb the mountain of God. So now if you read into this, this has gone on for 40 days. 40 days. There's a lot of things that happen in 40 days. Do you know this verse is cross-referenced to Matthew 4, 2 with the Lord Jesus when he was sent to the wilderness 40 days. A lot of things happen in 40 days. So for 40 days he's been going on and we get to verse 9. And there he went into a cave. What do you do in a cave? You hide. And he spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? You know what he's really saying? This isn't your mission. This isn't your purpose. This isn't your calling. And so when I read that, is the Lord saying that to me? 
What are you doing here, Gloria? What are you doing here, Fernando? What are you doing here? In other words, wake up. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. See, the question isn't, am I going to fall? The question is, do I get back up? And so this is what the Lord's saying. Elijah, you got to get back up. Verse 13, and before verse 13, God speaks to him in what it's called a still, small voice. I love the word in the, in the Passion, it says, God spoke to him in a delicate whisper. Could any of you, could you use a delicate whisper today from the Lord? See, Elijah thought he was going to move in an earthquake. Something big and spectacular. God can't do that. But he can also move in a gentle whisper, a delicate whisper. Verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. So what does the mantle mean? The mantle was a cloak which the mantle was literally a symbol of authority. Got his cloak back on. Got his mantle back on. And see, with us, every one of us in here, if you're born again, God's given you authority. He has? Yeah, he has. Where's that at? Well, the Lord said in Matthew 16, 19, he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, what's the keys represent? Authority. So if you got a key, what do you do with the key? Well, if I got a key, I can lock or unlock. And so that's exactly what he said. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So just like with Elijah, he's saying, I've given you authority. Jesus said in Luke 10, 17, he had 70 disciples, and they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But it does no good if I don't know my authority and then I don't use it. So he said, we got to get the mantle back on you. We got to get you back in your authority. You know what our authority is? The name of Jesus. It's all in the name of Jesus. Remember two, uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. His name is the name above every name in heaven, earth, and hell. Colossians 3, 17, everything I do in word or deed, I do in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I have numerous stops. And not in some weird, crazy way, but just that, that still small voice, that, that God thought. I've heard the Lord say to me, you're putting up with things that you shouldn't. You're putting up with things you shouldn't. And you know what that tells me? You quit speaking in the name of Jesus. You got lazy. You know the power of the name of Jesus. So he gets the mantle back on him. And he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? 
This is not your mission to be in a cave. This is not your assignment to run. And so the Lord still hasn't convinced me. But in verse 15 it says, then the Lord said to him, go and return. Go and return. Get back up. Get back in the game. And, and I know that he does that because farther down the line in 2 Kings 2, Elijah goes to heaven. But the interesting thing about Elijah going to heaven, he doesn't ever die. What do you mean? He does what I call a Peter Pan. Wouldn't that be the way to go? Get all your kids and your grandkids around you and say, now listen, oh, Poppy's going to heaven today. Hosta lasagna and just, just right out of here. And it's interesting, sometimes people say, do, do you really believe those things? I do, I believe every one of those. But I look at all this today. Is there something today, a person, that's got you on the run? Is there something that says within you, I just soon die. Enough, I, I can't handle anymore. But we serve a God who, he takes the impossible and makes it possible. We serve the God who'll, who'll grace us to return. And so maybe you're here today. You get that mantle back on. I need that mantle back on. I, I, I need that of a warrior, a fighter, a warrior in my heart. That I don't allow the devil to bully me. I don't allow people to intimidate me. Would you stand up here? I hope this touched your heart today. I hope this moves within you. I, I really believe with all my heart that today's God's gonna put a fresh anointing on you. Just a fresh anointing. That he's gonna touch you with the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus. And he's going to fill you with the line of the tribe of Judah, which is Jesus. That there's going to be a peace and there's going to be a fight within you. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. Father God, I think you're the locator of the heart right now. And Lord, you don't reveal this to beat us up. You reveal this to set us free. And Father God, all the ages in here, Lord, you know. You know our fears. You know the things that we've struggled with. And so, Father God, today, we, we have a desire. Man, this may be you. I need a touch of heaven today. I, I, I need a touch of I need something to happen today. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let our team sing here. I'm going to welcome you down here where you come down here and just say, I, I, I need a touch of heaven today. I, I need a move of God today. Lord, I ask you to break that stronghold of fear, whatever that is. 
in the name of Jesus. Go ahead, guys, let's sing. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.